So many things are brought to light during a Resurrection Sunday. There's so much weight on a day like today. There's so much, uh, it, it, it just brings context to everything that we struggle with. And if you're in a position today where you know you need a victory, you know you need breakthrough, today is your day. If, if not today, then when? If not today, then how? And, and maybe you didn't come for that, but the Lord's coming for you. And his spirit is coming for your heart. Uh, I want to just give you, I'm going to give you some different perspectives today. We're going to take a walk through time a little bit. Uh, most of the heavy lifting has been done over the last couple weeks. Uh, so if my perspective and if my angle on the resurrection story seems a little bit uh, presumptuous in some aspects and angles, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message a couple weeks ago and then last week's message because this is definitely built. And this is the third message in a series where we are declaring the Lord our champion. We know he has gone before us and he has fought those battles. Um, so if today, if the context of today, if you're like, man, uh, where's he coming from on that? What's, what does that mean? Uh, I probably answered that in one of the weeks before, but just to summarize a little bit, not getting into it, I believe that the Lord Jesus instigated this fight. I believe that he was in control every step of the way. I believe that the cross is a picture of him winning over them. And when I say them, I mean Satan, Satan's forces, demonic powers. Paul would put it this way, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. Most people are trying to prove the fact that the Lord exists. And I just say often, like, doesn't evil exist? Can't we see the fact that evil is present in the world? Can we see the fact that there is a force that is happening in this world that is not good and it is not God? Can anyone see that? Just turn on the TV or open up your phone. Go on social media. There's plenty of bad to go around. Everyone's trying to prove like the good, and if that really exists, well, evil exists. Supernatural powers that are on the other end are working overtime, just in case you haven't seen. And, and my point is coming into uh, Palm Sunday and this week and all that transpired over the week, my, my point is, is that Jesus instigated the cosmic fight. More than I can get into in, in one message this morning. So go back and listen. Plug, plug, plug. YouTube channel. Like and subscribe. Anyway, uh, but all that being said, check it out. Read it. We're here today at Resurrection Sunday, not because Jesus fell into a trial and he was falsely accused and he didn't say anything about it. He opened not his mouth and it was horrible, this thing that they did. Yes, it was horrible, the thing that they did, but my point is, is that he was four and five moves ahead of them. He was planning this all along. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So we're not coming into this week saying, man, they got him. We're coming into this week saying, he got them. And if he got them, if he uh, literally took control of the whole narrative, the whole experience, and conquered them, if he is our champion, don't forget your free t-shirt today out front that says champion on it with the definition underneath, if he is our champion, then why are we living as if we're, we have to fight for ourselves? Why are we living as if there hasn't been a victory won? Why are we living in a position of defeat nine times out of 10? 
Why has anxiety got its thumb so far down on the average American that we can't get up just to go to work? Boy, it got quiet there, didn't it? Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Why? If, if, If he has risen from the dead, then we've got something to say. We've got something to go off of. So we're going to hit this from a couple different perspectives. i got plenty of time. Uh, so this is a great time for you to have your program open, BethlehemChurch.cc forward slash program, and you can see all my notes and the picture that I'm about to tell you about. I'm not going to put it up on the screen because I want you to see it there, and I want you to have those notes. Uh, so in our weekly program, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 27, verse 60 through 61. So you have your Bibles. Uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew if you have them. Matthew chapter 27, verse 60. And 61, if you don't, just use your phone, and the verses are on the program. Um, Matthew chapter 27, verse 60 and 61. And placed it in his new tomb, which, we had, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. What I have there is the tomb of Alcadema. So if you see the picture there on the program... It's a picture of what this tomb would have looked like. I think like back when I was, I've been in church my whole life. Uh, I was raised in church. That doesn't mean uh, my parents were perfect. Uh, it doesn't mean that there weren't issues and problems. It just means I've been thinking about church stuff since I was a baby. And so this uh, tomb, when you think about the empty tomb, what do you think about, right? What thought or idea did you birth in your mind when you were a little kid? For me, it was like this, you know, this little hole inside of a mountain and this you know they chiseled it out and they laid him in there maybe like one table for him to lie in there most of the movies depict that right Jesus sitting there like Jim Caviezel shining glowing you know on the one little table and I I think of that like when I think of the empty tomb but it's so much more than that right so I wanted to give you a picture historically of of what an actual tomb of a member of the Sanhedrin would have had And so this brings in a part of the story that is a little conjecture, and I say it in my notes. I'm not saying it's gospel, but I think it's an interesting perspective on the story that I'm giving you today. Um, But if we look at how we know that the fella, this new tomb that he had cut in the rock, is Joseph of Arimathea. So this fella, Joseph of Arimathea, was a member of the Sanhedrin. That is the council of the, the Jewish government, if you will, that ruled against Jesus and said, you should crucify him. We know it was a botched trial, right? And if you don't know, it was a botched trial. They didn't follow their own laws. They met at night. They were convened early in the morning after meeting at night, which was all against their laws. The Lord never opened his mouth. He never went against it because it was all a part of Jesus's plan. And that's my point from the get. The Lord was in control during this thing, but it doesn't mean that what they did was right. What they did was absolutely wrong, which that's a little piece of God's grace right there for everybody. Know that when you are up against something, when you are facing problems and issues and mistakes that you have made in your life, that the Lord can absolutely be working in those things. I I mean, I hear constantly this idea, well, I made a mistake, so the Lord's so far from me. I know this one's my fault, so I pray I get back to the Lord and that he'll make it all right. Like, that type of behavior is condemning Christians all the time. I'm not here to condone your behavior, but I'm not here saying that the Lord is not willing to work in your messiness. That's called sanctification. 
The, the work of the cross was so that he could work in your messiness. It wasn't so that you could work up to be good enough to uh, be a project for him. He was the project. He was the price. He did pay it so that he could work in your messiness. So stop coming to church thinking that you're trying to be something. He knows you're not that thing. He's already paid that price, and he wants you. He loves you regardless of what mess you're in. Right? So, so the devil is a liar. Say it with me. The devil is a liar, okay? And the point here is getting started. I don't even know what the point is. I'm on some kind of tangent already. If you're looking at my notes, I'm nowhere near them. But I'm getting back. I'm getting back. This tomb was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich guy. How do I know that? He was a member of the council that voted against Jesus. I love that. The very people who crucified Jesus, the Lord was in their own pocket. He was in the heart of Joseph of Arimathea, and Joseph put forth his tomb. He went to Pilate knowing that it could have got him killed and could have got him in trouble and said, can I have the body of Jesus? And he was buried in a borrowed tomb, this rich guy, the Sanhedrin. So when you look at a geographical location of Israel where the Sanhedrin would have had their graves is this place right here, the tomb of Alcadamia. And it's not one little hole carved in there where he would be sitting. It's like a whole house. If you take a look here, understand the amount of wealth that it would have taken, if you're looking at that picture, to get that tomb carved out of the side of a mountain. I mean, a huge crew, a long time. My point is, is these guys put a premium on their graves. They put a premium on their afterlife experience. And it was pretty much like having a house inside of the mountain, a prepper's dream. You know what I'm saying. I'm working on mine in West Virginia, aren't we? We got stacks of ammunition and water for days. No, I'm kidding. But it is a prepper's dream. Look at that thing. How many are preppers? I just want to know where to go when it all breaks out. I'm going to your house right there. We all got them. Everybody's going to Kyle. We'll all show up. Can we have rations of bullets? Look, the zombie apocalypse is real. No, I'm kidding. You had no idea what was coming, did you? Look, we're talking about a story where a bunch of zombies came out of the grave just a few days before Jesus rose. Anything's possible, okay? You better prepare for it. That's right. And now's our ad for, you know, like all those ads for food that has a shelf life of 30 years. I don't know. Anyway, it probably tastes gross. I'd rather die than eat that food. How about that? How about that for you, prepper? Anyway, I don't know what's going on. This tomb. It's a very big tomb, it's a very large tomb, it's not one hole in the wall, it's a house inside. So my point is, is it took a very rich man to construct a tomb like this, to have the resources to deploy for them to make this sort of thing. I, I just think this is an unbelievable picture of God's grace. It's easier for a rich man to fit through the eye of a, I'm sorry, it's easier for a camel, <laughs> It's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Did anybody hear that before? And here we are in the picture of his resurrection that it took a rich man to have a place for our Savior to lay his head. What does the Lord mean when he does these things? He means that no one is out of his grasp. Everyone is, has the capacity of being saved, of coming to the Lord. No one is out of his reach. Isaiah 53, 9, let me keep going with this thought, stay with me. Isaiah 53, 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a rich man, but he was with a rich man, rather, at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Through the New Testament, uh, though the New Testament, rather, 
connects these words, nowhere does it connect these words to Jesus. Christian interpreters have always felt free to do so, and I would feel free to do so this morning. The New Testament tells us precisely that it was a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who wrapped Jesus' body in a clean linen shroud and then laid Jesus in his own new tomb, a rich man, the tomb, Isaiah 53. Pause for a commercial break. Do we understand that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, prophesied things hundreds of years before and then they came true? Just so you know. I don't believe this stuff. Okay, all right. Uh, Just so you know, it was like a long time before it was prophesied that this was gonna happen and then it happened. And we're gonna get to more of that here in just a minute. The tomb of Alcademia and the others surrounding it show us what such a tomb would look like. I love this. This is free. I'm going to read this to you. There was a Christian play once in which one fascinating speculation was offered. Perhaps the rich young ruler of Mark 10, do you remember the story? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, right? The man who asked Jesus what good thing he must do to inherit eternal life. It was, in fact, some believe that that was, in fact, Joseph of Arimathea. After Jesus told him to sell all of his goods, remember he went away sorrowful. Remember? Sell all your goods. And he walked away in a pity party. Perhaps his sorrow only deepened to the point of full repentance. Perhaps the tomb he gave to Jesus was the last possession he needed to give up to his Lord. If so, he got it back for his own use just a few days later. And what an incredible illustration. We can't know if this is true, and the value of such speculation only goes so far. But this possible connection will enrich these two stories. Either way, there was a rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, and the Lord said, listen, give of all of your possessions. And what we do know about Joseph of Arimathea is that he gave of what would have been one of his most priceless possessions, his tomb. So we have to see here, as the narrative builds, if I had a title for today, it would be defining the win. Defining the win, understanding what all happened. This is a very complex situation, right? Jesus Christ sparks this war with the forces of evil to where they are pursuing him to kill him. And a part of this is the Lord working in a rich man's heart to prepare this tomb, this unbelievable tomb, for Jesus to be buried in. Acts 2.24, it says this. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, 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 that's that's a theme for today, ending the pains of death. Good Friday is all about his what? His death, what he did. He died on the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? Died for us. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. I wonder even in this room, most of your fears and your anxieties and, th- and the things that you really like ponder about, good to see you guys. How did you guys sneak in here? I just saw you right on the front row. Good to see you folks. Wow, that was neat. <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> Man, that's neat. Good to see y'all. I'm in the zone. Sorry. Um, the point is, whatever the point is here, death. Death is this theme. What is attached to your fears. Most of the time, it's this thing of death. I think about like my worst fear. It often involves my children. And those of you that are parents know that. It's like, what if, right? 
Those of you that have anxiety, I could see it in your eyes right there. You're like, he said my children. <laughs> it's like instant. Fear grips you. Yes, what if? What if they died? <laughs> it, you know what I mean? Fear of death is real. It, it's, it's tied to so many things that we do. It's tied to so many investments that we make, so many decisions that we make on a regular basis. How safe is that? I swear. We watched the Subaru commercial the other day, and I, she was going to go trade in our car because it just looks so safe. I'm like, no, no, we, our van's paid off. No, we have to have a Subaru. Did you see that? Did you see that commercial? Did you see it? I'm like, yes, baby mama, but it's okay. Our Chrysler minivan, have you seen how heavy those doors are? I'm telling have you seen them? Those things, man, that Chrysler minivan, we would be good. Shoot, we would be good. I'm just saying, people know, the doggone marketing agencies, they know how to get you. It's like this scene, this horrific scene of the Subaru getting in an accident, and then the father shutting the door, thank God we bought a Subaru, and, and, and the, the car seat is still all intact, you know, and he can pillow his head at night because he bought a Subaru. Our, <laughs> our whole world is driven by what? Fear. Fear. Are you scared this morning? Are you terrified of something? Chances are, here's my point. Here's my point. Chances are it has to do with death. And I'm about to cue, I'm about to tee this thing up and just happy Gilmore that thing on out of the park. Because we are controlled so much by this thing of fear and death, and Paul deals with it explicitly. So here's what I want to tell you. We find here in the narrative, the Lord is our champion. He goes before us, and a part of this story is a rich man that's willing to risk all of his resources. What, what's going into Resurrection Sunday? What's happening here? What has happened through the cross? What has happened in an empty grave? Happened because there were people that believed it. There were people that bought in. <coughs> Excuse me, should have muted. There were people that gave their lives for this, and that's what I want you to see. I want you to see that there were people that absolutely, this was beyond one Sunday a year or two Sundays a year. This was their lives. Here's what Paul writes. If you have your Bibles or your programs, look here. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. This is a powerful portion of Scripture. I mean, one of the most powerful for me. I've got several places highlighted in here. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. I haven't said much to you online. God bless you. I, I hope you're enjoying yourselves, eating your Wheaties and having church with us. Love you. It's weird, isn't it? This whole online thing. They're joining us right now. Anyway, happy Easter. Love you. God bless you. Back to the text. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters. Here's what I want to point out. Here's what I want to point out, too. I'm a weirdo, just so you know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Y'all are like, what is this guy doing? Look, I'm just, I'm just keeping it real here. I, uh, we have a message to preach, but you guys, your eyes glaze over about every five to ten minutes. So we'll tell a joke, we'll get you out of it, and then we'll get back in the text, okay? This passage here, I think Paul is, I mean, he could be perceived as condescending. I really think that. Like, when we read this text, like, read this from the lens of Paul. This is Paul. Writing to us, right? Now, I want to make this clear for you, brothers and sisters. If I said that to my wife, what kind of response do you think I would have got? Hey, I want to make this clear right now. It would not go well. It would not have gone well. But this is, he's laying it all out there. That's my point. That This text, he's really driving something home here. 
I want to make this clear for you, brothers and sisters. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, hopefully, prayerfully, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I passed on to you as, as most important what I received, that Christ died for our sins. I highlighted this, according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. I like this too. And he appeared to Cephas. Paul didn't always see eye to eye with Peter. And he's like, hey, guess what? He came to that guy. And then to the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. When I checked with uh, the court system, if there's an eyewitness account for something, that person wins. If there's an issue, if there's a conflict and someone saw it with their own two eyeballs, I've, I've been a witness for accidents in the past. They call me and ask me for what I what? Saw. Not only that, if someone says something about someone who was an enemy, and then they're like, you know what? As much as I don't like that person, they actually did what they said they were going to do. Then you're really like, really? Like, this must have really meant something. Let me explain something to you. The, the Apostle Paul persecuted Jesus' followers. The, the Apostle Paul uh, killed people that declared their loyalty to Jesus. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm with them. Uh, let me explain something to you that he came to me on the road to Damascus. I saw him. Graciously, he gave me my eyesight back. But Paul is saying, I know it's real. And if it wasn't Paul... Ask the other 500 people that saw him after his resurrection. Whether them or not. What about his disciples? What about Peter, Cephas? Same guy. Just a different name. Peter is saying from a place, I'm sorry, Paul is saying from a place of literal, like this guy, he was a terrorist, if you will. He terrorized the church of God. And, and we're about to read his words, and they are extremely powerful. This morning, we're not here because a bunch of yes men were around Jesus that just said what they needed to say and said that it, it's true, it's true. We got it. His body's gone. No, these were people that were absolutely opposed to the work of the gospel, the Apostle Paul, and had amazing life transformation. They had 180 turns. And, and for Paul, listen to me, for Paul to say according to the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled this, when Paul was the man saying Torah does not accept Jesus. There was a, a time in Paul's life that he did not interpret the Bible as to be Jesus the Messiah. And for Paul to say, hey, according to the scriptures, he's the guy. He's the one. We know we can stake our faith on this claim that he is making. Not only do we have a rich man giving a large portion of his money, we have someone who is basically a terrorist in opposition, an enemy of the cross of Christ, converting, saying it is true. And I finish Paul's words here. There were a portion of people that did not believe in the resurrection during this day and age. How many know there are probably people still today that don't believe in it? 
people that may even be here. It, it really matters if you believe it. It really matters if you believe what the Bible says according to the scriptures. Let's continue, verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. I highlighted that. And so your faith. If we have no resurrection Sunday, then this whole thing is empty. It's vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If, if Christ is not raised, you are in your sins. If death has not been defeated, then you are all men and women most miserable. If, the big if, but, verse 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. Come on, can I get an amen? amen. The first fruits of those that have fallen asleep, verse 21, for since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The last verse in that passage of Scripture says this, verse 26, the last enemy to be abolished is death. Is death. Here's the highlight reel. The rich man uses his resources. The faithful, Peter, the apostles, the 500, those that were following Jesus, they were filled with hope. And then look at the words that we have from a skeptic, the apostle Paul, one that was changed, one that looked at it a certain way, totally had a 180. What, what does it say? The skeptical repented and was given his sight. There's a lot of weight on the story that we're celebrating today. Here's my question, and this is where we land today. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? What does it mean? There's some COVID. <clears throat> Sorry. Droplets, the droplet section. What does this mean for you? We know what it meant for Joseph of Arimathea and for Paul and for Peter and for the apostles and for the 500 and for many that have gone before us. But how does this translate for you? You see, I believe that there are folks here today under the sound of my voice that you have not unlocked resurrection power on your life. You just haven't. There was a period of time in my own life where I had not unlocked resurrection power. I was caught in religion. I was caught in this circle, this cycle of what I was doing for the Lord, doing, air quote, doing for the Lord, when everything had already been done. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. I want this to mean something to you today. Here's a few scriptures that I have for you as it pertains to the win that we are celebrating today in Jesus. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Y'all ought to write these down. Romans 8, or just take screenshot, or just look at your program, sorry. We have technology for that. Romans 8, 1 through 22. 1 through 2, goodness gracious. Therefore, oh my goodness. 
I'm about to have a fit. Therefore, there is now, what's that next word? No. Turn to your neighbor and say no. That was really easy for your women. That was too easy. That was too easy. I saw that. You're like, no. All of you men were like, yeah, no. <laughs> Pastor told me. <laughs> you didn't need to explain it. I told you to say it. You're like, no. <laughs> no. Man, that was good. I saw it. I saw it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. I wanted to expound on that word a little bit. For those in Christ Jesus, in, in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Verse two, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. There is now therefore no condemnation. That word condemnation, Greek word, katakrima, which means condemnation. It means bound by judgment, bound by penalty, bound for the penalty of your sins, wrapped in, straight jacket type behavior. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is now no restriction on you as it pertains to your sin. To those that are in who? Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, if we can get this, if we can unlock this power, we will be made free. How many of you feel free right now? Okay, good. It was a rhetorical question, but that's okay. <laughs> How many of you feel free? And, and if we're all honest, if we all just kind of like rest in our own minds and hearts right now, like we'll look back, just peer back into the halls and corridors of your mind over the last seven days. How many moments of bondage have we experienced? Let's just be real. How many moments of like, oh, I feel like restricted. I feel the opposite of free right now. I feel like I, I don't have freedom in my relationship. I feel like I don't have freedom to, to teach my children. I, I feel restricted in what I'm doing for the Lord. Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all felt constricted? But, but this verse says, because of the law of the spirit of life in, in Christ Jesus, it set you free from that. We are not bound by judgment, penalty, or sins. It would be death, but Jesus paid for that and has given us new life in the power of his resurrection. Listen, if, if you choose to accept what he did for you. I think this is interesting. One year, one year after a body, and this is the, the purpose of having multiple rooms in this tomb. Considering the fact that when you first go in the tomb, there were holes in the wall in that first chamber that bodies would be laid in. It was laid in limestone, chiseled out in limestone, because limestone naturally breaks down tissue and bones. So after, they would have a seven-day period of time where they were anointing with oil and perfumes because it was a seven-day uh, ceremony within that tomb. There were places actually chiseled in front of the grave further down so that, uh, you know, men could stand and women could stand and raise their hands to, to the sky inside the tomb, and there would still be room for that. After seven days, right, then they would leave the bones and the funeral ended. They would come back at the one-year mark. They would collect the bones that were there, and they would put them in what's called an ossuary, a box. They would sometimes inscribe the name of the person or some sort of message 
And then they would take that box, that ossuary with those bones at the one-year mark, and they would put it in another chamber of the tomb at its final place. I was thinking about that this, this week. I was thinking about that tomb of Alcademia. And I was also thinking that his bones are not there. I thought about this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. John 10, verse 10, it says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and they, they might have it in abundance. One of the main places for thieves to hit, guess what? Were tombs. Consider the fact that if this tomb was this man's life savings to carve out, if he had the pockets, you understand what I'm saying? If he had the pockets to pay dudes to chisel this out for years and years and years, he ain't gonna be buried in faded glory jeans. You got what I'm saying? He's going to be buried in some Gucci. He's going to have a Versace watch. My, my lady, my man, they are going to have some expensive stuff on. You get me? Thieves would go in and they would plunder these tombs. They would steal everything that was in there. This tomb that was discovered in 2000 had been robbed by thieves. Do you not think Jesus knows the analogy? <laughs> He said, if I give you new life, I want you to live in a place that the robbers can't get to you. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Here's what I'm submitting to you today. So many Christians, too many, you are having ceremony after ceremony after ceremony with dead bones. You've taken these sins, you've taken these relationships, you've taken these things of the past, and you've put them in a box, and if I walked in your house, there'd be piles of them. You wake up in the morning, and there's the pile, there's the ossuary, full of dead men's bones of everything that the Lord has saved you from. And the devil is a liar, the devil is a thief, the devil takes you back to your tomb, to your catacomb, to the place where all you do is see the horrible things that you've done. And Jesus says, don't you understand that I've come that you might have life? Don't you understand that you don't need to bury anything? I have raised you up for new life. I've raised you up for abundance. You are the only one that's believing the devil's lie. Jesus does not believe it. He does not believe it. He has paid a, a high, incredible price for your tomb to be empty. He's paid an incredible price for it to be vacant, for you to be packing up your stuff and putting it in ossuaries. Well, remember that one time? Remember that one relationship? That one missed opportunity? At what point are we gonna realize that we have power to live in abundance? I'm not talking about prosperity gospel stuff. I'm saying the Lord has paid your way. He has paid your ticket. Living a life in freedom, in his grace, looks incredibly different, and Paul said it, than someone that sins because they can. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, for the first time maybe in some of your lives, saying, you know what? Here's the ossuary of my childhood trauma, and I'm giving it to the Lord. Everything that he has brought an end to that is tethered to death, the Lord 
has made you free from. They that be in Christ are new creations. I'm ready for a church that wants to walk away from the tomb. We got plenty of people that'll visit the tomb tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. We got plenty of religions that are constantly visiting tombs that are filled with bones. But bless God, I got a God who come up out of that grave, which means I have a God that has brought you out of the grave, that has brought your sin out of the grave, that has said you don't need an ossuary, you don't have bones, you have life. Man, it's time that we claim it. All that's left, there's nothing to it but to do it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but the pain, you've gotten so used to living with the pain, you don't know what it's like. Some of you, it's, it's literally, it's, an, it's become an excuse. It's become your story. You, you know what I mean? Like, if you're a Christian that everyone knows about the ten worst things that have happened to you within the first ten minutes that they meet you, you're not living in abundance, just saying. And everybody knows who you are. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Did, did he tell you about that yet? Oh, yeah, he told me. I got the nth degree. That's the opposite of living in abundance. Ossuaries. There is no ossuary of Jesus' bones. No celebration needed at the one-year mark. We're still celebrating 2,000 years later. What does this mean for you? Here's what it means. Resurrection equals repentance. That word repentance means change. What good are we if we walk away the same? What good are we if we don't experience new life? Now listen, I know who I'm preaching to. It's okay. This is Easter, and then there's one more, Christmas. I get, I get some of you twice a year. It's okay. I love you, and I want you to come back. But here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. Hear me out. The Lord wants more. He loves you. He loves you. He cherishes you. There has been many Many a year that I have lived my life surrounded by ossuaries. And it's not until recently that I feel like we have entered into this season where the Lord is really just, he is like, here's what my grace looks like. Here's what resurrection power looks like in your life. I actually feel like we could face some very difficult things because we know that he has conquered death. 